you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Happy Monday, Eric. Happy Monday, but really happy Tuesday. To the listeners. Yes, to the listeners. We, we like playing with the time-space continuum. All time and all space is happening simultaneously. So You know why that happens? I mean, you know why this ridiculous intro happens? Because we're powered by... I'm glad you always record the video on these because when you finally pass out from doing that, we're going to tweet out the video and it's going to go viral. <laughs> um, I just want to make it known that when my voice was changing, we'll call them notes, even though there weren't notes, but when they were changing, I was not doing that intentionally. I have zero control. It was just happening. It was just <laughs> happening. Ward, it's October. By the time we release it, it's October 6th. We are 25 days away from the end of October, which means the Board of Trustees vote, not vote, the campaign kicks off in earnest on November 1st. By the way, please insert the campaign theme song right here. Right here? Right here. Who's your man to lead us? Who's not a total dud? Who's your brother bleeding? Crimson blue blood. Who's your man demanding what you want and more? You gotta get us back to the final four. And we're back. Um, I'm glad we made people sit through that. Do me a favor, insert it again right here. Right here? Right here. 
We got to vote for Eric, man for you and me. We all trust in Eric, future trustee. If you want to see the candy stripe back in the promised land, you best just vote for Eric, cause I'm no Who's your man? There is no way people are listening to that. They have hit fast forward so many times. That one jackbag who hates that we don't have the skip button is really upset right now. <laughs> Can you imagine Cliff like he wants to send it to a family member to listen to and they have to sit through this? What are you doing? Cliff who? Cliff Huxtable? Oh, can't say that. Oh! Can't, can't. Oh! <laughs> 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 Cliff Huxtable ain't sending anything to anybody these days. No, nope, that's not part of the uh, privileges. Cliff Huxtable's sending a shiv to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Though, uh, let's just talk about for the first time ever a guest we might have on today's show. Yes. Sending it to a family member, and they have to sit through uh, maybe the longest pig siren call ever, two uh, renditions of the campaign song. And then jokes about um, a person who used to be beloved and it now is really reviled by all of America and the world. That is a rough start to this podcast. By the way, I have never once felt any remorse or guilt or regret about the um, pig siren call until you just pointed out that one of our guests might be sending it to their family. I think um, about that every time. <laughs> look, there's some guys in my house doing some work that I have to like go finish. So let's just keep this short and sweet. We've been wanting to do this guy for, for since we heard of him. Mm -hmm. And he's been brought up by everybody that's played at Indiana over the last four years and every recruit we've talked to. And we get to talk to him. Is there anything better than that? Only if I know for sure those guys in your house heard you do the siren call. <laughs> or Cliff Huxtable references. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know what we do here? We talk to awesome people. I'm going to say this is probably the most powerful person we've talked to yet on this podcast, but that's all I'm going to let you know because it's, it's at the stage now where Eric takes over and he really starts to drop the hints on exactly who we have here today. Eric, drop those hints well as ward said we're excited about this one uh i don't love the fact that i'm i'm going to lead with the fact that he graduated from louisville but i'm gonna just say <laughs> it i mean that's where he graduated from a degree uh in exercise science and sports medicine he got his master's in teaching physical education he was a strength assistant for the university of louisville football program certified strength and conditioning specialist and through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. In 2006, he was certified as a club coach for USA Weightlifting Organization. He served as a strength and conditioning assistant for the Cincinnati Bengals. He went on to Ignition Athletics, where he served for 10 years as the performance director, where at Ignition, they trained more than 10,000 athletes across all the major professional sports. He was responsible for the design and implementation of the strength and speed programs. No big deal, but under his direction, they trained over 40 plus NFL combine top performers, a ton of NFL players who hold all time combine records. He also helped design the ignition speed system certification that nearly 200 coaches uh, certified worldwide, including Auburn Tigers football coach. We are talking a big time pedigree here. He worked 
as a consultant to the University of Dayton in 2015, where Archie Miller was the coach. And there mm. we can start to see some of the uh, connection points. He implemented the Dayton Flyers strength and conditioning program for Archie's team in the Atlantic 10 that won the championship. He was a fitness ambassador for the NFL during the 2015 and 16 seasons. He's got over 18 years of professional experience. He's trained more than 400 pro football players, a bunch of first round draft picks, people like AJ Green, Luke Cakley, tons of others. He was recognized in 2019 as national strength coach with distinction by the NSCA for more than 15 years of professional experience. He, of course, is in his fourth year as the strength and conditioning coach of Indiana University, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome a guy who also led the stretching routine for us at the Archie Miller Victor Oladipo <laughs> Fantasy Camp that made me exhausted before I ever did anything. Please welcome Cliff Marshall. Wow, thank you guys. That's quite an introduction. Um, was not was not expecting that, and just thinking to myself, you know, as you're reading over my bio, how in the world did I find myself in Bloomington, Indiana? college basketball, you know, um, working with these athletes here. It's, it's, um, it's quite surreal. And it's also hard to believe I'm going on year four here with the program. When you hear that long laundry list of things that you have done, people you have worked with, organizations you've been affiliated with, uh, taking Indiana out of it for a second, because we know that's the highlight of anyone's career. But is there one thing in that list that really sticks out to you as you just kind of think about your last basically two decades working in this business? Yeah, probably just my first big break in the coaching profession, I felt like was landing a job with the Cincinnati Bengals. I was only 24 years old when I got that job. And many of the players that I was training in that NFL locker room were, were older than me. So that was just quite an experience being able to break in to the professional uh, level and then work with the best of the best athletes. I must imagine, like in a lot of other professions, but particularly for you in the time of a global health crisis, when what you do is all about people's health and nutrition, what, what kind of work have you had to do to figure out how to keep IU athletes, basketball players in tip-top shape when you've had to go months without your normal resources and facilities and even just the ability to interact with these players? What, what has this year brought to you in terms of challenges you never could have expected before 2020 started? Uh, well, you know, I just think back to being in Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament and, you know, beating Nebraska and going into the locker room. You know, I think that was our 20th win, which I thought, you know, uh, gave us a, a really good shot at getting into the March Madness tournament. And just as we walked in that locker room, instead of celebration, it was almost panic, you know, because I know the Nebraska coach, you know, was sick during that game and the COVID-19. You're just starting to hear about that and just remember them telling us to you know, players got to, you know, get your clothes off and get showered and get out of here as quickly as possible. You walk outside and there's people in hazmat suits going through the Nebraska, you know, um, team bus. And, you know, of course, then we go to the hotel and then shortly thereafter, within 24 hours, our season abruptly ended. And so I went from not seeing our players from basically the middle of March until late June, early July. And so that was really, really difficult. Um, 
you know, I think the big thing for us is that at, in college basketball, I'm always okay with the players taking three or so weeks off just to let their body recover and heal. So I was, you know, good uh, for a while, but then as you look up, it's, you know, May and you haven't seen your guys. So ultimately what I ended up doing was customizing a program for each one of our players based on what they had at home. So for example, Race Thompson, you know, he had access to a heel. So we did a lot of heel sprints, you know, sprinting builds fast switch muscle fibers. And, and that's what we did a lot with race. You know, Joey Brunk, on the other hand, he had access to a, to a full out weight room. So his program looked much different. But I think all in all, every single one of our players had access to a resistance band and body weight. And I told our players, your muscles don't have eyes. So they don't know whether you're using a barbell, a dumbbell or a band. So every every week I would send them out their workout routine. It would be a, it would be a lot of videos of me demonstrating the exercises. And um, I was encouraged because when the players did arrive back in Bloomington, I could tell that they had all been working. I, I was going to ask, it's one thing to see how somebody works when they're in Bloomington and they have to be with you on a daily basis and you see them and they're, they're living, you know, a stone's throw from, from cook hall and assembly hall. It's another thing when they're home, did you learn something more about the kids that were on this team when they had to really just take it upon themselves to do the work when, when they didn't have to check in with you every day? Yeah, I think so. I think just the conversations and the guys texting me and, and reaching out and, you know, um, just looking for things to do as they were home, show me that they were hungry. And I think the other thing that happened is when they showed back up to Bloomington, you know, there was a sense of urgency. I think that the guys, not that they took anything for granted, but once things are taken away from you um, and you're not with your teammates and you don't have you know, the strength training workouts that you typically have in an off season, you know, I think you realize how important they are. So I think that's why we had a great six weeks this summer because the guys were fully bought in and they kind of missed it as they were away for three months. Did you have a, we often hear about on the basketball court and in the locker room when it comes to kind of the game itself, a leader that, that every team needs a leader or more than one that really grabs hold of the guys and says, no, this is how we're going to do it. Teaches the younger guys. This is how, where you're supposed to be in the pack line defense. This is how Archie's offense works. Does the same hold true for the weight room? Are there guys that are holding people accountable uh, for, for making sure they get their work in and go the extra mile? And if so, on this team, who are those guys? Yeah, I think you're always looking to your upperclassmen uh, for that type of leadership, um, specifically in the offseason, the guys who have been through the workouts. You know, for example, Al Durham, he and I kid around a lot. You know, I, I tell him we're we're going into our senior year together because, you know, Al came in with with our staff and I can remember him walking in as a skinny 160 pound, you know, athlete. And um, so we certainly look to guys like him and obviously Joey Brunk. Uh, I would consider Race Thompson one of the, those guys, too, because, you know, he did red shirt that first year we were here, but he's just uh, going into his fourth season as well. So those guys, you know, have done a really good job during the pandemic, uh, specifically the summer. And now as we've started our preseason program to kind of lead the way in the weight room. Well, and I, of course, the the season being less than two months away now you're and you've had the guys back for a while it's been a little stop and start with some some positive tests coming in 
And of course, you've got to figure every other team out out there is dealing with a lot of the same obstacles you are. But are you feeling like, you know what, all things considered, we're going to be ready to go when that that first jump ball goes up in the air? Or are you still kind of like, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, in, in terms of where you want the players to be? Is it still like a race? Are you still feeling like, oh, I have certain goals that I want them to get to before that first tip off? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think uh, the one thing the pandemic Cliff, don't tell us- him. Don't tell him questions are great, Cliff. He doesn't need that. Come on, no, man. I do. Just I answer the question. I really I mean, need we that. don't need that. I got to hear about that now. I mean, my God. <laughs> But honestly, it's something that I'm, um, you know, type A personality, and I'm always uh, wanting our guys to improve every day, every week. I always ask the question to our players, are you stronger and faster and better than you were last offseason? And obviously, when you when you have three months that you can't be with the players, and then you got to take a pause for 14 days because of, you know, COVID, and then, you know, it it can really be stressful. as a coach and also as, as, as a player. So what we've learned to do uh, is to take it one rep at a time, basically, you know, one day at a time, one week at a time and one month at a time. And that's kind of been the mindset. Um, we started the program the first, uh, the first week of July here, here in Bloomington. Cliff, I am curious, and we're going to get back to your whole journey, because I'm curious, as you said, like, it's surreal how you wound up in Bloomington working with, you know, these student athletes, and we want to get into that. But obviously, a lot of your career has been spent with professional athletes. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, mostly or or majority with football players, right, like a, a pretty heavy focus there. From a just interpersonal standpoint, forgetting the the weight room for a second and just what their bodies are capable of as, you know, it's different, I assume, working with a 28-year-old more grown man than an 18-year-old really grown kid, if you will. But, you know, because of NCAA rules that are antiquated and ridiculous, you get to spend more time with the players really than any of the coaches do um, and earlier. And I would imagine that a bond forms, you know, a personal relationship. I've seen your, I follow you on social media. You're taking the guys out fishing. You know, there's, there's clearly time that you're spending outside the weight room. But how has that adjustment been for you going from working with professional athletes who are making millions of dollars and now working with kids who that's their goal many of them, most of them won't be at that place, but they are kids that are going away from home for the first time. And you become this adult figure that is in their lives more than any other adult figure. Has that been an adjustment for you? And what, uh, what do you, what do you get out of that relationship? Well, I think uh, what I've learned more than anything is regardless if I'm training pro athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, it boils down to relationships and Having the trust of the athlete um, is the biggest thing. Um, You know, if I go back to the days of being in the private sector for 10 years when I was trying to build a business training professional athletes, you know, in 2007, we had zero professional athletes at Ignition. And over the course of 10 years, we trained more than 400. Well, how did that happen? It, It was one relationship, one player trusting you, um, that led to the next, that led to the next. And, 
you know, um, I think more than anything else, it's, it's a relationship business. I know it's about results. I know that I'm paid to do a job here. I know that's why Coach Archie's brought me here. I know that's why Scott Dolson pay, pays me. Um, but I would tell you that the relationship is eternal. The result is temporary. And when you put it, when you put it, um, you know, together, when you're working with these athletes, I think that's what creates the buy-in and the trust, you know, that when you mentioned fishing, uh, one of the things that I've tried to do uh, with our athletes is spend time outside of the weight room with them. And the reason I do that is because I did uh, something called the five love languages. It's a survey that was created many, many years ago. And my wife and I actually did it in marriage counseling. And it basically teaches you how to communicate with someone via their love language. So there's five different love languages, you know, a couple of examples. One is words of affirmation. One is quality time. Uh, another one would be physical touch. So you're giving somebody a hug. And so over the last two years, I've done this with our team to start the off season and 70% of our players, it came back that their love language was quality time. And so for me, I I ask like, where and how can I spend more time with our players outside of the building, outside of Cook Hall? So, you know, obviously taking them grocery shopping or maybe just taking them out to eat. But the big thing over the last couple of years is fishing. Uh, Many of our players love to go fishing. So uh, some of them have never been fishing. And that's an opportunity to teach them a lifelong hobby, you know, teaching them how to bait the hook. and, And once they catch a fish, take it off. So I think there's all but about three players that have been out fishing with me and I'm still working on those three that haven't, but it's, it's definitely for that reason. I'm just trying to build great relationships with our players because I know the results will follow. All right, wait, we got to get into the fishing. Who, who, who is, who is figuratively the fish out of water when it comes to fishing of the players that you have taken over your first three plus years, who is it that just had no clue what they were doing? Probably Armand Franklin because he had <laughs> he, he had no idea how to bait his hook. As a matter of fact, my daughter, who's eight years old at the time, she had to bait the hook for him. But what was so what's so crazy about it is, as soon as he threw the the uh, bait into the water, he caught the biggest bass. So he also has the biggest fish of anybody really? he's caught, including myself. He caught like a three and a half pound, four pound bass and barely got wow. it up out of the water. So, but yeah, Armand Franklin. Um, and who's know, the best? Who's the best? I would say uh, Trey Galloway. You know, Trey mm. Galloway, honestly, on his official visit, you know, players have the opportunity to do many of different things in Bloomington. The thing that Trey wanted to do was he wanted to go fishing. So uh, I was able to take him fishing on his official visit. And, um, you know, I think he grew up there in Culver around Culver Academies and there's lakes up there. So he and his family do a lot of fishing. I know. Now, Trey, to me, tell me if I'm wrong here, but Trey seems to be a guy. He seems to be a little off in a good way. Like he (laughs) seems to have an edge to him that, that truthfully we feel as fans like has been missing a little bit with this team. It seemed, and Archie has talked about that our teams, the first three plus years have been fairly quiet they're fairly quiet teams. Some of the leadership on the team has been quiet. Some of our stars have been quiet, but he does. He seems the opposite. He seems like a guy who's got some edge. And I feel like he would take that to fishing as well. Am I wrong about, uh, about that perception of Trey? 
He's certainly a competitive guy. You know, we're, we're not on the court per se right now in terms of doing like five on five live activity. So it's, it's tough for me to speak on that right now, but he's certainly a competitive guy. He certainly has toughness to him, you know, in the weight room, you know, as I'm pushing these guys, he's certainly got a, a, a next level toughness to him. And, um, you know, he, along with all of our freshmen, I'm so excited to see him once we, once we started up and go live action here in, in a few weeks. Now we we've gotten to poke our head into the weight room and see all the weightlifting records up on the wall. Do you have a similar way of keeping track of the fishing records? Is there an internal competition there? Is Trey determined to to take Armand's record down before the season is over? Yeah, I think he he would like to. You know, the bass haven't been biting here the last couple of weeks. Trey and I were just talking uh, recently. The bass have not been biting. I think it's getting a little cooler out. So. Um, but yeah, he 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 is uh, he's definitely Armand right now has the biggest fish, I think um, you know. But but I think there's some guys that are coming for him for sure. All right, well let's let's go ahead and go to the beginning. You're growing up. Tell us about where you're growing up and when you start to get an inkling of the gift you have to give to the world and how you start finding your way down the path that'll eventually lead to you being on the Hoosier Hysterics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, as I, as I just reflect back kind of how I got into strength and conditioning, honestly, I was born in the 80s. So I was, I'm a 90s baby, except I got into professional wrestling. So I loved watching wrestling on TV on Saturday mornings, you know, the Hulk Hogan's mm -hmm. and the, the, um, the folks like that. And of course, Hulk Hogan's talking about taking your vitamins and he's always flexing his biceps. And that's <laughs> when I, I started getting into, you know, the, the physiques and how these guys train or whatnot. And so I would fast forward probably up now I'm 15 years old. I start dating a girl in high school. She becomes my high school sweetheart. And now she's become my wife. Wow. And her brother was actually a professional baseball player. He played for the Chicago White Sox um, and made it to the big leagues for, th for three full seasons. And he came back home one off season and he had a Chicago White Sox, you know, off season training manual with him. And in addition to that, you know, he had these supplements, you know, he had like the whey protein, the creatine, the whole nine yards. And so he asked me to go work out with him one, one night at our local high school. And I, and I went up there and actually went through a workout and I'll never forget it. You know, it, it broke me off pretty good. And that was the first <laughs> training session I ever had. And, you know, from, from that point on, you know, I played high school football and um, obviously when you're a football player, you get into lifting weights and after I graduated high school, I was offered a preferred walk-on position with the University of Kentucky. And so I went there for two years. And obviously, you're lifting weights in college. And then I transferred. Uh, my brother is two Best years younger than me. Best decision you ever made. Best decision <laughs> you ever made. Get the hell out of Kentucky. Uh, Although you didn't I go hear... far. You didn't go far. <laughs> I, went right, I went right up the road to the, to, the, uh, to the University of Louisville. And my brother got a full football scholarship there and I, I went into the strength coach's office and told him my desire to be a strength coach and I told him I would just mop the floors every day I would take out the trash I would do anything that he needed me to um, just to give me that opportunity so that's kind of how I broke into the strength and conditioning profession there 
All right. Well, let's we're going to take a, a couple steps back here. First of all, where did you grow up? What city? I grew up in a small town just outside of Lexington, Kentucky, called Cynthiana. It's all Cynthiana, right. Kentucky. So did you grow up a Kentucky Wildcat fan? <laughs> it's okay. You can admit it. You can admit it. We all listen. Listen, we don't get to choose where we're born. Okay, so that's, <laughs> that one's not your fault. But I, we just need to get into it. We just need to get into it a little. I struggle to say it, but yes, my family followed Kentucky. They were big time Kentucky fans. Many of my aunts, uncles, cousins still bleed blue, although I'm slowly but surely converting them over to becoming Indiana fans. See, this is how we need to do it. We need to get in, go inside, infiltrate, and work it from the inside. That's right. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I I mean, um, you know, I remember growing up, and that's why I have a ton of respect for Indiana, to be honest with you. Obviously, Growing up in the down there in the bluegrass state, basketball is big. But I obviously growing up in the '80s and '90s, I remember, you know, the Bobby Knight era and how talented and how successful Indiana was. And that's part of the reason that I couldn't say no to Indiana. You know, when Archie offered me this job because I have a ton of respect, you know, for for the program here. All right, now let's. We got to get into wrestling a little because you're <laughs> you're talking to a giant wrestling fan here, Cliff. You now have a new best friend named Eric Pinkowski. <laughs> so, so I mean, obviously, you're watching Saturday Night's main event. Like, you're getting into all that stuff. Who? Give me your like top three. Obviously, Hogan. Every you know, every kid who grew up in the '80s. I'm a late '70s kid. Same thing. Hogan was everything. But who else were you were you into? Um, probably number two would be Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 And probably number three has to be – it's a tie between Ric Flair and the Ultimate Warrior. All right, look. Now, time out for a second. So, Flair is my all-time favorite. All right, so he is everything to me. He's why I liked wrestling. I mean, I just – everything the guy did, I loved. But I look at you, and I see how intense you get – and and I have thought this before we ever had this conversation. You, I've said you are the ultimate warrior of Indiana basketball. The intensity warrior would shake the ropes. Like you're you're the guy that gets the team. It seems like you're the guy that's with them right before they run out. You're getting them hyped. Like it feels like you've taken some of that warrior spirit and and use it. Uh, what was it about, let's talk, what, what was it about the personality of these wrestlers that you globbed onto? Because it's not just about the physiques, because there's great physiques in football, and, you know, there's great physiques in people that are bodybuilders, but wrestlers have something else. What was it about wrestling that you loved? I think it's just the energy, you know, and kind of the, the, the entrance into the ring, you know, that every one of the wrestlers has their own thing, uh, how you get the fans fired up. You know, to me, it's now how can you get your players fired up before the games? I I really look for two things. I look for our players to have energy, high energy, number one. And number two, I look for a smile. I want every one of our players to smile. So that's what, you know, you kind of get in the hallway before they run out. That's one of the things that we've always done here at Indiana. We don't warm up on the court, per se. We kind of have an intimate session in the back hallway where we try to get the guys fired up and and, you know, we hoop and holler a little bit. And I even brought out the warrior mask before, you know, put the warrior mask on and and, and get them going. And, you know, it's just uh, it's fun. I, I, I Trace Jackson Davis and I, we call it we call it um, hallway energy. You know, it's like when you look in each other's eye and you see that sparkle and you you look at each other and say, man, it's time to go. And I think it's all birthed from my love for pro wrestling. 
I, I have to feel like there, you also have done the science behind this of what, what results in a, in, in a player's body chemistry when they smile before going out onto the court. Is that true? Are you that fastidious about the science behind everything? Or sometimes is it just about feel? No, I think, you know, coach, obviously coach Miller, you know, he agrees. He wants the, the ener energy to be up in the warm up because, you know, it's kind of the last thing we do before we tip the ball off. So, you know, if you can't have fun and bring energy, you know, before the game, like you're, you're playing the wrong sport, you're at the wrong university. So, you know, we crank that music up and, and we, and we get going. It doesn't always guarantee us that we're going to win, but at oh, least oh, we it, know it, that. <laughs> it, it, it does guarantee that, that, that hopefully the guys are, are, are ready. And, um, you know, like I said, we just have a lot of fun with it, you know, before every game. How do you determine the playlist? Because we know when you have somebody like Joey Brunk on the team, he's got certain tastes in music. How does how does that get chosen? I kind of go to our upperclassmen and let them choose. You know, we let them choose what song they want to they want to warm up to, and and um, you know they, they they'll usually pick out a good song and, and we'll run with that kind of. When you're on your own, what kind of music are you listening to? When you're working out, are you what? Do you have a certain playlist or a certain uh, certain artists you go to? Yeah, obviously, you know, our players in the weight room, they typically are going to choose, you know, the, the current rap, you know, my, my deal is as long as it's edited, you know, there's no curse words in it, then, then we can listen to that. I personally listen to a lot of country music um, when I'm working out some Christian rap or actually some ACDC. We've been playing that here lately uh, in the weight room. My whole education on ACDC and Led Zeppelin was in the weight room in high school. That is completely <laughs> where I got to know all those tracks. But Ward was just hanging out in the weight room. He wasn't using any of the weights. <laughs> no, look. I'm there kidding. Was, I'm there kidding. was one bar with no weights on it. That was Ward's bar. That was, That's where I hung out. I have to share this because Cliff will, will appreciate this. So I worked at WWE for a little while. At the WWE headquarters... Uh, Vince has in the in the first floor a really nice gym because Vince is a freak for working out, you know, and I mean, he's 74 years old, I think now 72 74 and he looks, I mean, he's just incredible right. If you go into the weight room and Vince is there and he is often there and I had a few times where I was there with Vince, which is the most intimidating experience you'll ever have in your life. The only thing Vince blasts when working out. And it is so loud, Cliff, you cannot hear yourself think. It is ACDC. Wow. It is just ACDC all the time, every workout. You, it, it is so loud, it, it gets into your brain. I mean, it just <laughs> infiltrates everything. But that is Vince's choice. He'll Every once in a while, he'll put in some kid rock, like some hardcore kid rock. But it is almost always ACDC blasting. Oh, that doesn't that doesn't totally surprise me. I can yeah. see Vince listening to that. He's also just a little side story. When Vince is on the road, so the you know the way you work at WWE, you're doing those shows till eleven o'clock at night. You know, on the East Coast, there right. start at eight, be done at eleven. Vince takes a little time to kind of have a debrief. Gets on the plane, flies to the next city, probably gets into the next city around one a.m. Gets into his hotel maybe around two a.m he travels his personal trainer and whatever city he is in, they open up a gold's gym for him at two, three, four in the morning. And he does an hour and a half, two hour workout. 
My goodness. Every day. Wow. Every day. That's Vince. That's All right, incredible. So I, li- I like that. You know, by the way, I, I want to take a, a slight side turn here. I know that when you're doing high-end uh, power five sports, you're, you are so focused, like this is your family, the IU basketball program, and you don't have a ton of time to like socialize with the other sports. But we don't have to get into this big time. But obviously, you are a man of faith, and your faith is very important to you. Tom Allen, who is the head coach of Indiana football, who we recently spoke to, is also a man of faith, and his and his faith is very important to him. It seems like you guys share that. Have you guys had any interaction? Have you been able to connect with with him at all? Yeah, I've talked to Coach Allen a couple of times. Obviously, have a ton of respect for him and the way he conducts his business. Um, just love the whole thing of the LEO and love each other. Um, but one one time, my first year when I was here, uh, just in a conversation with him, you know, he he had shared some good wisdom with me in terms of how to develop good relationships with your players. And he said that he asked them the three most important things in their life, you know, and if the player responds as to one of those three, that faith is important, you know, it opens up an opportunity uh, for you to speak to them you know, and with them about that. But you know, I, I just think in general, you know, in terms of coaching, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about relationships. And if the players know that you love them and, and you, you you want what's best for them and also the, the families, you know, when, when these players come on an official visit, when you sit down with their mom and dad and they they can feel comfortable with a coaching staff or with a strength coach who is going to care for the player off of the court, not just on the court. I think it brings a sense of uh, relief um, and trust to the mom and dad as well. So I oftentimes think before I lay my head down at night, you know, what did you tell Christian Landers, you know, mother and father? And and when you met with, um, you know, with Trace Jackson Davis's family, what did you tell them? And are you living up to that each and every day? And I think that's just, you know, how you're supposed to conduct your business as a coach. And I think to your point, Coach Allen shares some of those same thoughts. IU basketball is often compared to tackle football. So that's, that's, I think, only half joking, especially when you compare it to other Power Five conferences. So kind of a two-part question. Do you have any kind of exchange of information with the training staff over with the football team where it's like, hey, I just learned this thing. Maybe it's applicable for you guys, but more focused on to your job day in and day out do you think you are approaching the way you're training your players differently than say those trainers for uh, ACC schools or SEC schools because of how physical the big 10 is? Yeah. Well, to the uh, first question, you know, I I love my job at Indiana for a number of reasons. uh, But one of the, one of the great things about my job is I'm able to network and learn from the other strength coaches with other sports. And that's not just with football, but that's with all the Olympic sports, you know, we're able to meet, um, pretty often and talk about different training ideas and concepts and uh, just think the world of, of the staff over there and getting to work with them. Um, you know, and, and to answer your second question, you know, I think, you know, when you're a strength coach in college basketball, you know, it's very important that you're talking to other strength coaches. So when I was on the Bengals staff, um, believe it or not, there's three of us off that staff who are now strength coaches in college basketball. Wow. Um, one is currently Mike Rayfelt. He's with the Yukon Huskies. And one is Rob Harris, who's currently the head strength coach for the Kentucky men's basketball team. Wow. So it's pretty, pretty cool to think that you go from training football players to, 
to now you're in college basketball together. And we, we network and talk a lot. And to answer your question, yes, my first year, uh, I learned very quickly, you know, the Big Ten is football with no pads in certain games. Mm-hmm. And so it's a physical game. And I have a ton of respect, you know, for for that. And so I think a lot of the ways that you train are similar um, to how you train for football. Yet also there's many differences as well. For example? Okay, for example, like, you know, I think just being, um, you know, being able to hold your ground is very, very important in football and also in basketball. So we have to train every day from the hip out. So we do a lot of obviously lower body strength and stability type stuff. Yet we also do a lot of core training for your, for your core and low back and whatnot. Um, you know, I think that in the weight room, we don't load our players, their spine vertically. So in other words, we don't put up 500 pounds on Trace Jackson Davis's back and have him squat because he's six foot nine or a Joey Brunk because he's six foot 11 where, you know, in football, they do that. You know, that's that's one of their primary focuses and their primary list would be heavy barbell back squats. That would be kind of an example. I think the other biggest difference is the conditioning of the athlete. You know, football is short burst. The average football play is usually six to seven seconds and it's followed with 35 seconds of recovery. Well, in basketball, you could go 90 seconds, even up to two minutes without stopping action. So I think the energy systems and the conditioning is much, much different when you compare football to basketball. Um, But at the end of the day, to keep it simple for you, you know, a hamstring is a hamstring. You know, when you're whether you're training A.J. Green for the Bengals or you're training Rob Fennessy for the for the IU Hoosiers, you know, the the hamstring muscle is a hamstring muscle. And, you know, you're going to train that, you know, to 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 uh, the most effective way. One, one tip on the core, I've learned this, is if you lay on the sofa a lot watching TV, every time you have to get up to get like some jelly bellies, I can feel it in my core. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> you do with it what you need. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so let's get back to your journey. So you, you graduate from Louisville uh, and you stay there and get your master's from there as well, right? Correct. And, and then do you just segue right into being on the football program to being a, a strength and a conditioning assistant with them? Yeah. So my first two years at, at Louisville, I was a student assistant. So I, like I said, I was just volunteering, working anywhere in any way that I could. I actually even went up and worked in the film room uh, mm-hmm. to help with film. And so um, just trying to serve any way that I could. And then that led to a grad assistant position where I was able to get my master's degree paid for so I spent two years as a grad assistant. And then, like I said, I had that opportunity to interview with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, probably didn't have the resume to get the job, but um, I believe that the good Lord blessed me with, with a good interview. And the guy who was going to accept the job accepted an, another job somewhere else. And they had like one week to fill the position. And they called me and said, Cliff, you've got the job. All right. So walk us through that whirlwind, because, I mean, you are a kid going from a grad assistant job, basically, right into being with the biggest, most powerful, the biggest league in the world. And and what is that like? Is it did you have a moment of can I really do this or did you just have, you know, supreme confidence that you belonged? Yeah, it was kind of, they threw me to the wolves. I I remember my first day on the job, I thought, man, I'm going to, you know, set the drills up, tear the drills down, you know, and, and kind of watch from afar and and then slowly get my, 
get my wheels going and get in here and coach a little bit. But my first day on the job, I remember they gave me a station and they said, coach these guys up. And then like, uh, I remember like a week later, the head strength coach had something come up and he wasn't out on the field for team stretch. And then all of a sudden I'm leading the whole team in a stretch, you know, inside Paul Brown stadium. So yeah, it was certainly like a, a surreal moment. Um, but and then, like I said, I was I was so much younger than a lot of the players in there. And that was a big thing. Like I I looked older than I than I really was. And it took them like a year to find out that I was only 24. But but when they found out I was 24, you know, that was that was kind of a, a joke in the locker room. But uh, who who gave you the most crap? Who, who There had to have been a player who was like the lead hazer when he found out you were just a, a newbie. Yeah, there was a first the first round draft pick there was uh a guy named Justin Smith who finished his career with the 49ers and was yeah. a pro bowl player. He used to give me a hard time about it. <laughs> what, what was your first Sunday? Like your first game day as a part of an NFL franchise. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I remember uh, obviously, you know, at, at Louisville, there, there was pretty good atmospheres there. Uh, you know, when we, my last year at Louisville, we finished in the top 10 in the country and, during my time there, we also were able to beat uh, like Florida State on a Thursday night ESPN game. So we had some big games there at Louisville. But, you know, Sundays are just totally different, especially when Cincinnati's got a good team and you're in the jungle and it's rocking. But my most memorable game in, in, in the NFL was when we went up to in 2006, I believe, went up to Pittsburgh and we beat the Steelers for the AFC North Championship. And I've actually got a big picture in my office of me and Chad Ochocinco running off the field together celebrating and the reason I put that up there and sometimes I even put it in my recruiting powerpoints as I'm talking about my history is because coach Archie Miller is probably one of the biggest Steelers fans that I know yeah (laughs) (laughs) any chance I get to rub it in his face that we were able to beat the Steelers I certainly do that talk to us a little bit about Ocho Cinco I mean I will tell you personally he won me a lot of fantasy football weekends and a couple championships so I thank him but a larger than life personality at least it seems from the outside in what was your relationship like with him and what was he like behind the scenes well he was actually in the weight room he was excellent I mean he went above and beyond I remember he would come into the weight room and obviously we would have the workout of the day for him but he would always come in with a jump rope and he wore these boxing shoes like a boxer, like a pro boxer Mm. would wear. So like he would do whatever we asked him to do, but in between the sets, he would grab his jump rope and, you know, kind of like a boxer, he would do his jump rope. But um, as an athlete, just incredible, you know, he would always make fun of us when we talked about nutrition and the importance of nutrition. He would always talk about how he eats McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he's got the, (laughs) got the lowest body fat on the team, you know, and it, and it was true. He was really lean. And then just as a celebrity, like, you know, I was able to be there, uh, during the the highlight of his career. So, you know, when he was doing all those touchdown celebrations, you know, I was on the sidelines for those. And, you know, I knew like going into the games, he would always plan these different type of celebrations, you know, days in advance. And, you know, that was really cool to see as well. But uh, definitely, definitely, you know, uh, uh, a, a joy to be around, you know, definitely was a character in the locker room. I think this would be a good time to ask as you're here at uh, the pinnacle of, of professional sports, who is the greatest overall athlete that you've ever worked with? 
Man, that's that's a, a, a really tough question because, you know, you got a, 18 years in it. You've trained so many at the highest level. And, you know, the NFL combine, if I just went to that, because for 10 years, that's kind of how I fed my family. Like these these college seniors or, or these players who would leave early from college, you know, you your biggest job interview as a pro athlete in football is the NFL combine. And so I would recruit about 100 players per year for this training program at ignition. And we would try to get, of the 100, we would try to get 25. And once they reported basically to Cincinnati, they lived, I basically lived with them in a hotel for 10 weeks. And you prepare these players for the vertical jump and the 40-yard dash and everything that comes with it, even the interview questions they're going to face. And so, um, you know, obviously there were a lot of great athletes there, but I think probably when you look at it, Luke Keekley was a player, you know, who's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Just, you know, his explosiveness and his speed and strength was certainly a guy that comes to mind. Um, you know, and and I think that, you know, I could continue to go on and on. We were blessed to, again, break a number of different NFL combine all-time records, you know, be it vertical jump at 40-yard dash and whatnot. But I just think when you look at everything, speed, strength, agility, power, Luke Keekley. Uh, from the Carolina Panthers was certainly one of those guys. Um, now in basketball, you know, I'm four years in, right. But um, definitely have some good athletes as well that we've been able to work with at IU and, and certainly have some good athletes on our team now. I'm curious about, you know, the combine is such a, and, and the NBA has a a similar thing, although it's not nearly of the import as the NFL combine, but it's all about measurables, right? It, it is all about measuring how fast somebody goes, how much weight they lift and, and how many reps they get and all that kind of stuff. And then clearly the interview process. But is there any balance that you have to strike? And, and I want to get into then how you left the, the NFL and started doing the ignition stuff. But is there any balance you have to strike between kind of, it, it's like when we were students, are you learning to prepare for the test or are you learning to prepare for the world and, and learning? And in sports, are you, are you training to hit measurables for the combine? Or are you training to be the best possible long-term athlete that you can be? And are those two things opposed to each other? Well, you know, you're training for a track meet. You know, you, there's six drills at the NFL combine. And I knew every drill inside and out. And I would tell the players all the time, I'm not making you faster. I'm making you more efficient Mm. in how you run this. And that's going to give you a better time. And the difference in you running a four, six, 40 yard dash to a four, five, 40 yard dash was millions and millions of dollars. Wow. And so I certainly feel pressure, you know, when I'm sitting on the bench and we're, and we're playing, you know, inside assembly hall, but the pressure you feel when one of your clients is on national TV, running the 40 yard dash for millions of dollars wow. is, is, is incredible. And the night before the players run is like something as a coach that I'll never forget. I would always meet with the players, you know, give them a good stretch. You know, we pray together. And then that would be the last time I'd see them. The next time I'd see them would be on NFL network, you know, and they're up there and it's quiet and there's millions of people watching on TV and there's, I'm sorry, not fans in the stands, but at Indianapolis, you know, all the GMs and head coaches are there. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's an unreal event. And 
the big thing in that is when you recruit a player to come train with you again, they've trusted in you. And so, I mean, my heart would skip a beat every time a 40 yard dash would go off and it would be one of my guys. Well, you clearly had a ton of success and, and, and we know about like the, the players that you've worked with and you've mentioned some of them, but there's also, because life isn't perfect. There's also got to be the flip side where a guy didn't hit the time that you wanted him to hit or that you thought he would. Can you walk us through how you process that part of it too? And then how you reconnect with that player and kind of move forward there? Cause that, that's got to teach you as much about life and, and how to deal with overcoming obstacles as the successes, maybe more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you always want to talk about the successes, but you know, I think we learn the most through our struggles. And so we had a player that, I recruited for months and he had the opportunity, you know, when you're, when you're recruiting these players, there's about 10 different facilities in the country that they can go train at. And all the facilities are very reputable, but I had this player who his junior year, he was up for the Heisman. His name was Ray Graham. He, he was a running back for the Pitt Panthers. And I flew even on an airplane into New Jersey and I met with him and his family and I presented the program and, told him why he needed to come train with me at ignition and how we could help him. And, you know, you fast forward eight, 10 weeks later, he's at the NFL combine and he, he runs a, a bad 40 time, you know? And like I said, you know, it just crushed me. And I never I was worried to death. Like, man, what's, what's he going to say? What's his agents going to say? Cause you know, their agents pay you big money to train them, right? They, you got to pay for their housing and their food right. and, all their travel and, and like here we are and he's running a bad 40 time and it's awesome. and so I'll never forget I met him in Indianapolis you know right outside the Lucas Oil Stadium and you know we kind of hugged and I told him I was sorry and he said Cliff if I had to do to do all over again I would still train with you mm. and it just brought the biggest sense of relief to me and then we walked it. We walked to Steak and Shake. There's a Steak and Shake right downtown Indy. We walked to Steak and Shake and had a, a cheeseburger and a milkshake together. And you know, to this day, that 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 was a few years back. But to this day, we still we still talk on the phone and exchange text messages and everything like that. And he still got a chance in the NFL, but you know, definitely running the slow forty time didn't help him. Did you have blowback from his agent after that? I'm just curious. I, I understand the player has the relationship with you. The agent doesn't really. I mean, the agent only yes. cares about how much money they can make for themselves and their player. Yeah, the agent was obviously upset, but he kind of sided with the player because the player was happy. The player was, um, you know, not saying anything was wrong with the program or training with me. So I think he was okay. I think all three of us together, though, um, you know, the kid was coming off of a, of a, of a torn ACL um, mm. in his junior year. And had we, had we done it over again, we probably would have waited because we, the, the player had a pro day at Pitt, you know, like a month later and probably should have just waited to run at pro day instead of running at the NFL combine with all those eyes on you. Right. I do wonder if you found yourself in a situation where there's a kid who's like, I'm going to be this, this, and this. They have maybe just 
really impractical or unrealistic expectations of what kind of athlete they are, say genetically. And maybe you don't even know until you start working with them. But when you get in there and you realize there's just limitations they have that no amount of work will ever allow them to to move past. Is that a conversation you end up having to have with them and get real with them and say, hey, maybe you should save your money or focus on something else? Or do you just put your head down and just do the best you can to get them where they think they can go? Well, it's a conversation I have often with our coaches at IU. I tell them (laughs) the secret to success is recruiting high-level, fast-twitch athletes. (laughs) That's the secret to success for a strength coach anyway. You know, bring me guys like Jordan Geronimo, you know, Justin Smith. These guys are fast twitch athletes. But, you know, we've learned that obviously that only goes so far in basketball and it's a skill sport. And I do want to say something about the NBA combine real quick. You know, Romeo got invited to the NBA combine. And that's one of the things that anytime our players get invited, you know, I would hope to be there for them for support. Now, obviously, he was coming off of a thumb surgery, I think. So he couldn't participate, unfortunately because I think he would have done really well in the physical testing, but it blew my mind when I walked, walked in there, I had a pass kind of like a VIP all access pass and it's in Chicago. And to your point, it's much different than the NFL combine. So I walk in and I, um, I immediately go to the physical testing area. So that's where they're doing the bench press test. They're doing, um, which is 185 pounds on the bar. You got to rep it out as many times as you can. They're doing the vertical jump test they're doing what they call the three quarter court sprint. So in the NFL combine, it's a 40 yard sprint at the NBA combine. It's three quarters of the length of the court. So you're basically running from the baseline to the opposite free throw line. And then they have two agility drills. And I was shocked because when I walked back there, I did not see one assistant coach, one head coach, one scout or one GM. Really? And I'm thinking, At the NFL combine, the stands are packed. You know, there's every coach and every scout and every GM. And it just, it hit me at that point, like basketball is a skill sport. Yes, all of these qualities of strength and speed are important. But if you can't shoot and you can't dribble, then that's what's most important. And so what was going on on the other end of the court, they were playing five on five pickup at the NBA combine. And that's where all the coaches and scouts mm-hmm. were. They were watching the game. None of them were watching the physical testing. And do you think that that is appropriate? Or do you think that, I'm just curious, it's like the two sports are diametrically opposed. One cares so much, maybe maybe more than they should about the measurables. The other cares very little in just the sport. Do, do you feel like that's appropriate for both sports? Or could they benefit? Could coaches and, and assistants and GMs in basketball benefit from focusing more on the athletic measurables? I think they could. And I would say that uh, what would happen at the NBA combine is at the end of the workout, you know, the physical testing, there was a database and all the coaches and GMs, they ultimately got the results. They just weren't there to see the players actually jump and whatnot. So I would like to see it to where maybe they were a little more engaged over there in the physical testing area. But I certainly understand that. Again, I would say that skill is greater than strength in basketball. One of my most humbling experiences being a basketball strength coach was my first game in assembly hall it was uh indiana versus indiana state yeah not a great one it wasn't a great one and i kind of came into the game (laughs) not knowing any better you know um not knowing any better but i thought to myself you know 
we're the more physical team. We, we should kick this team's butt. And, you know, at the end of the game, you look up and they've hit 17 three pointers, you know, they could, they were just shooting it lights out and it was a great, it, it sucked, you know, and I hated going through that, but it was a great learning experience for me because it taught me about how important that the skill of shooting and, and whatnot is when you compare it to just strength alone. Okay. So you, you see that you see ISU put up 17 and you're like, huh? Does, does it make you start to adapt your approach like right away and say, how, how can what I do in strength and conditioning start to help maybe something more like hand-eye coordination? Is there, is there ways where you're like, okay, it's less about just pushing somebody uh, around and more about like, okay, how can I get this object into that cylinder over there? Is, does that factor into the work you're doing with basketball players? I think it's more of a, it's not a physical thing. It's more of a mental thing. You know, Bobby Knight said mental is to physical as four is to one. So that was my whole thing of how mentally tough are we when we're down 15 points to Indiana State and have to come back. I think as a strength coach, you start looking at things like that, especially when you're in basketball, because it's such a mental sport. So how do you help them with that? Well, I think that uh, the thing that we've done is I created something um, two off seasons ago called the grit program. And the grit program is basically a daily accountability sheet that each player is graded on, you know, simple things like, were you on time? You know, were you dressed appropriately? Was your body weight in check? Did you have positive energy during the workout? You know, things like that, that they're constantly being evaluated and graded on because I think that stuff carries over to the court. I'm, and obviously, I'm not going to ask you to divulge grades of people on that, but I am curious, do you see a direct correlation between players who maybe haven't graded as high on the grit sheet and their performance on the court? Like, is do, do you see that there's a real kind of one-to-one relationship there? In certain instances, I think, as, you know, certain times you have just high-level talented players and maybe they're not their body weight's not in check where you want it at or what have you, but they're just so talented on the court that they can overcome it. But at least for me, if it's, if it's a number or if it's something that could be graded each and every day outside of just your bench press or your leg press or whatnot, I want to try to make sure that we're doing that, um, you know, to again, train some, train some grit. And also, um, you know, throughout the workouts, you know, we always finish with some type of a, you know, a competition or whatnot where it challenges them. And I want to see how much mental toughness they have. So let's go back to the journey. You're, you're with the Bengals. How do you transition and why do you transition away from the NFL and more into, I don't know, I guess you would call it the, the private sector, if you will, and away from being in an organized uh, team sport and, and more working with individuals outside of that? Well, I think uh, with the Bengals, you know, I was, like pretty much the third assistant on the staff and, and, you know, ignition, which was a private based uh, company uh, family owned in Cincinnati. They were looking to start a pro athlete training business and they had reached out to me. Um, initially I said, no, I wanted to stay in, in coaching because I felt like if you get outside coaching and go to the private sector, you could never get back in. Um, but then they came to me a second time and obviously it was, it was a little bit of a pay raise and I was able to get, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, good benefits. And I was Mm -hmm. uh, recently married. So I chose to, um, you know, take that role. And it was also an opportunity for me to run my own program as a performance director, you know, to have assistant coaches working underneath of you 
and to come in and develop a strength and speed program and to install that, um, that was kind of intriguing as well. Okay. So, Hey, uh, Cliff, we want to do this. Here's, here's your money and your benefits and it's your show. You run it. Uh, that's a lot of pressure now on you to grow this thing. So what was your philosophy and in, in like, how am I going to start attracting some of the best athletes in the world to choose me over these nine other reputable places around the country where they could be doing this? Well, the toughest part was getting started because I, I wanted to make a brochure. And I remember as I was trying to make this brochure, like I didn't have any test results and I didn't have any testimonials. And so I had to go to some of the, uh, players that I had trained at Louisville who were currently in the NFL. And then some of the guys that I had met down with the Bengals and those guys were nice enough to give me a testimonial. And then, like I said, I just started reaching out to different um, high level prospects and NFL agents and sending those out. And like I said, the first year, I think maybe we trained three or four NFL prospects and, you know, over the course of 10 years, we had worked our way up to, to hundreds. And you are recruiting. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You are absolutely recruiting, which, by the way, I would imagine is part of why Archie wanted you to be part of Indiana, because recruiting is everything, obviously, in college basketball and college sports. And he knew that he had a guy in you that not only was great at what you did in getting the kids to be in the best shape and condition they could be, but you're part of the recruiting process. When a recruit comes to town, you've got to you meet with them, you meet with the family. How did you develop your kind of recruiting skills, your pitch skills when you were at Ignition? Did you read books on it, you know, self-help tapes, or did you just develop it organically? I guess I developed it organically. I didn't really read any books on it. It was just uh, one conversation to the next. And, you know, you get repetitions at it. You know, if you're recruiting 100 players per year, you just kind of you got to know what, how to connect with the player, you know, for some players that came to ignition, it was that, Hey, we're, you know, my cell or my pitch was, we're going to train you individually. We're going to give you a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention for other players. They were looking for a faith-based training program. That was important to them. Um, so I think you have to connect individually with the athlete and their families and kind of get to know them and what drives them, what motivates them. And then, and then just build that relationship and that trust. So it was, Honestly, when I was at Ignition, it was a tough part of my job because it took it takes so much time. I mean, you're connecting with these players via, you know, I mean, you had to go through Facebook Messenger or you had to text every night. And it was like a full time job just recruiting. Yeah. But as I look back on it now, it's like, you know, the good Lord was preparing me for that because now I am recruiting and trying to help in any way possible when the coaches asked me to recruit players here at IU. Can you tell me what a faith-based recruit, a faith-based program would be? Because I feel like I've been on a faith-based training program for about 20 years where I don't do anything <laughs> and I just have faith that it'll come together. But I think that's probably <laughs> different than the faith-based program you use. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like, um, what is your purpose on on earth? You know, that's the thing that we, we did a, a purpose-driven life Bible study, so to speak. Rick Warren was a pastor that I followed and it's really basically taking the athletes through this study for them to take their take the pressure off themselves hmm. and look at the perspective of being a, a bigger picture. And so as you start looking at that, you start to understand that, you know, just do your best and trust God with the rest, because these players had so much and, and players in general, there's just so much pressure on, them. you know, right now, even even at IU, you know, you feel the pressure, you know, with social media and and this, that, and the other. And for me, it's more about looking at, 
you know, it's doing it for the audience of one. Like as long as you do your best with your God-given ability, that's all that we can ask you, ask of you. And that's kind of where the faith-based training approach came in at Ignition. So 10 years in Cincinnati, I got to ask, big Chili fan? Chili's the big deal in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, actually, Skyline, I was not a fan for nine years uh, (laughs) that I was in Cincinnati. My 10th year, my kids, I have a five-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. They started uh, enjoying Mm -hmm. Skyline, you know, so I actually got to the point where I acquired the taste and I certainly enjoy Skyline, especially when I go back to visit. Right. So while you're at Ignition, uh, you're obviously increasing your base of players that you're working with. You're growing the business. Uh, how do you come to meet Archie Miller for the first time? So I think my my last year at Ignition, um, it was probably our most successful year. We had a great staff. We had really grown our brand. I was able to sign a deal with NFL Network to be a consultant and, and to do work for them. I wrote video. I'm sorry. I, I did training videos and wrote articles for NFL.com. And then that consulting job led into a um, consulting opportunity with, uh, Xavier basketball. So Xavier, uh, would bring myself and our staff down twice a week in the off seasons to train them for the NBA combine and do a lot of speed and agility work. And in 2015, Dayton was in between strength coaches and, uh, Bill Comar had reached out to me because I had met Bill in Cincinnati while working with a company called pro camps. Mm. And, I never forget the call because it was during um, the NFL draft. So I was really busy because, you know, I had trained these guys for the combine there. I'm hoping to see my guys drafted and coach Comar calls. And he kind of told me their situation and said they were needing a strength coach to kind of fill in for the months of May, June, and July. And that Monday I took it to our staff at ignition and I I told them about the opportunity. And, And remember, I think that Dayton was coming off an elite eight appearance at this time. And so I was really excited about the opportunity. However, we were really busy. Uh, I was consulting a couple of days a week, like I said, with Xavier doing the NFL network stuff. And then also down in the Bengals uh, weight room, the Bengals actually hired ignition to come in four of our coaches to work on their staff that off season. Wow. So my schedule was really, really hectic. And I remember leaving that staff meeting and kind of collectively, we said, we may be too busy to take on this opportunity at Dayton. Well, I slept, slept on it that night, prayed on it, woke up the next day and said, there's no way we can say no to Dayton. You know, it's a high level basketball program. It's Archie Miller. And so long and short, uh, we accepted the opportunity and I started going up there that summer and working with their team and had a great off season. Um, you know, the guys bought into the program. They did a really nice job and I was able to meet coach Archie and coach Ostrom was there at the time, Bill Comar. And I just kind of, maintained a relationship with Archie through it all. You know, I, 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 they ended up hiring a full-time strength coach after that summer, but uh, he and I never lost contact. And what was your impression of Archie when you first met him? Uh, very businesslike, you know, but a ton of respect because like I said, they were, they were, they were killing it up at Dayton. They were on a roll. They had success. I loved watching his skill workouts, how he conducted his business. I had a ton of respect for him after I left there that summer. You've helped grow Ignition into a nationally reputed 
strength and conditioning program that that really you you have potential clients from not only all over the country, but all over the world. And when you've built that kind of reputation, there's real security in that, not that you don't have to keep hustling for it. So then when Coach Miller goes to Bloomington and he's trying to get his very first recruit named Cliff Marshall, what is the thought process for you going through that, going up there to meet with him when you're like, gosh, I've just built this really great thing over here. And I think there's a lot of security in that. Or am I going to put all my eggs in one basket over here in Bloomington? Can you just take us through the the journey and the decision in, in, in deciding to take that chance with Archie? Yeah, for sure. I just remember being in Atlanta, Georgia. I was being, uh, I was flying down there each week to train AJ Green uh, of the Bengals. He was flying me down. I was working with him and I got a text message and uh, Archie said, are you interested in being with me at Indiana? And I screenshotted that text message and I actually saved it and I printed it out and I have it hanging in my office um, just as a reminder. But you know, um, that following week, my wife and I drove up uh, to meet with Coach Miller. And um, I think it was his first week on the job. And, you know, he kind of showed me around the facility and we talked and talked about the specifics of the job. And um, it was a Saturday and we were driving back to Cincinnati. And I started to cry. I actually started to weep because I knew in my heart, God was calling me to a different mission. And to your point, it was the hardest thing because I had spent 10 years with the staff at Ignition. And, you know, we had built this brand and, you know, had one client on all 32 NFL rosters and we had all these great things going, but I I just felt my time was coming to a close there in Cincinnati. Um, The following day I went to a church service and it just added confirmation. So I went home and I told my my daughter, my son was too young at the time, but my daughter knew we were moving and it was tough for her because she had friends back home there. And of course my wife as well, but you know, uh, we, we knew that we couldn't pass up an opportunity to come to Indiana. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the show, just a ton of respect. And I, I think that just, I told myself like, how often do you get an opportunity to go to a place like Indiana, a blue blood basketball program to be a strength coach for the men's basketball team. And that's all you have to worry about Mm -hmm. the 15 players on the roster. You know, I can always fall back. I felt like, and be in the private sector and train athletes, but I can't always get an opportunity to go to a school like Indiana and work for a guy like Archie Miller, who I have a ton of trust and respect for. Yeah, it had to be such a a relief just to not have to like, okay, now I got to fly to Atlanta uh, and now I got to go recruit this guy and and so many different things. That that focus of just 15 players, has that really and – th- and then also you get to see them through several years. So that's got to be part of the appeal too as you're really going on a longer journey with less people. Yeah, it definitely played into the, played into the decision because, you know, you, sometimes you feel like in that private sector, man, you're really hustling and, um, you know, you're kind of spread thin at times where here you can be laser focused again, dealing with 15 athletes. You know, when I was in college football, you know, you're dealing with 115 athletes, mm. you know, <laughs> now I'm dealing with 15 athletes 
you know, even in the NFL, you've got a lot of guys on the roster, like having 15 guys, you know, they become part of your family and you can just spend a lot of quality time with each individual. So that's certainly been a positive for me. So you get to Bloomington, you've been living in Cincinnati for a decade. Uh, Bloomington's different than Cincinnati. What is your first impression of the town when you, when you just kind of take your wife around, driving around, having dinner at your first couple restaurants? What's your take on Bloomington? Um, you know what? When we drove up on that Saturday to meet with Archie, um, it was raining and cold out. And mm. again, this was, I think, had to be in April, I believe. Sure. Because... I had always heard about how pretty and nice that uh, the Bloomington was, but as we're driving through, I'm like, man, I don't see it, man. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, a month late, a month later, a month later, when the flowers and the trees started blooming and the birds were chirping, and I took that first walk through campus, I certainly understood what everybody was telling me about. But it was an adjustment because Cincinnati's such a big town, uh, where where Bloomington's a college town. But I think. Bloomington, what I love about it is obviously you have the college town here, but I grew up, like I said, down in Kentucky and it kind of grew up out in the country. You know, when I can drive five miles from my house and kind of be out in the country and be out near Lake Monroe, I mean, I, I think it's just the best of both worlds. And then of course, if I want the big city feel, I can drive down to Indianapolis and, and get that about 45 minutes away too. Do you remember on that Saturday, did you go out to dinner with Archie? Is that part of the like recruiting plan? Does he take you guys out to dinner? Do you, do you remember like the first restaurant you went to in Bloomington? You know, um, I specifically remember leaving Bloomington. And as we're heading back to Cincinnati, my wife and I, we pulled over in Columbus, Indiana, and we ate at the IHOP there. <laughs> and that, and that's where we kind of... We started, we started our conversation, you know, about, you know, what does this move look like if we do ex decide to, to leave right. Cincinnati and we drive by that, uh, aha, you know, every time I go back home to Kentucky and I always think about that, that moment there. But, um, now my first experience at a restaurant, I think I had heard about mother bears. And yes. so I, I went there to mother bears for lunch one day. And quickly thereafter, I went to uh, Buffalo Louis, which has become my favorite restaurant in Bloomington. Yes. But but by the way, I mean, I'm, let's get into this now. There are favorite restaurants, too. But we're out of shape idiots. Those <laughs> restaurants are the worst places in the world for athletes to go to, aren't they? They, they uh, have options. So I've taught our players about, you know, if you go to Buffalo Louis, you know, the, actually the wings are not that bad for you. If you get the dry rub, okay. the honey All barbecue, right. the honey barbecue and things like that, that's where you get a lot of, you know, empty calories and bad carbs. But uh, the dry rub is not that bad. Yeah, and what about Mother Bears? What is the good My choice at Mother Bears? <laughs> I, I like, salad? I like, I like eating the salads there. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and people, um, people laugh at me all the time, but I try to limit – you know, how many carbohydrates, good and bad I have per day. So if I'm really in the mood for pizza, I'll go to Mother Bear's, order the extra cheese and just eat the cheese off of the pizza. Mm -hmm. Don't eat the bread, just the cheese. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't have that kind of discipline. I've, I've got to imagine, though, for yourself and for your players, is there a conversation where it's like, look, you need to go ahead and just get gross 
every once in a while. Big win, just get gross. And and does, maybe that helps with long-term success because you're not like building up to the point where you just start eating pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream like me and Eric. Is there a, is there a little bit of a release valve you all have to give yourselves nutritionally? Yes, there's definitely a cheat day. Oh, not a cheat day, but a cheat meal built in every week for the guys if that's what they choose. Okay, got it. All right, so now you're moving to Bloomington. You're there. You're establishing yourself. Um, before, I, I want to get, there's so much I want to get into when you first get there. But one of the things that we know happens is you get there. That weight room was a disaster when you got there. <laughs> the physical space, it was dark. The equipment wasn't great. It just was nasty. And it's not a big space. I mean, this is, you know, as Archie and Scott Dolson and Fred Glass uh, have improved facilities kind of throughout all of the IU basketball. The weight room was a big part of that. And, and you're a limit, you are limited there by the space. What did, did you aggressively kind of say to them, guys, we need to upgrade this. How did that process work? Well, actually that, that visit with Archie on that Saturday, when I drove to Bloomington, as he was showing me through cook hall, you know, he popped open the weight room door and said, this will be the first improvement that we make. You know, obviously the, there needs to be updates throughout, but the weight room is the number one priority. And he kind of said, whatever you need to run your program, we'll make sure that you have it. And that just shows you another reason that I came to work for Archie is because he values the weight room. He values the strength coach. And that's why he said the weight room is the first thing on the docket. All right. Then the ne- another thing that happens fa- fairly quickly, I would imagine Archie comes to town and and even in his press conference, in his introductory press conference to Indiana, he makes mention legally of Romeo Langford. He says, and yes, I know where New Albany is, you know, like he makes, because he can't say his name because he's a recruit then. But clearly that was the recruiting focus of Indiana. We all knew we weren't going to be very good our first year, but it was about, can he get recruiting back on track and can he get recruiting back on track in the state of Indiana and specifically, there is this generational recruit, Romeo Lankford, and Archie has zero relationship with him. So he needs to build it, needs to build it quickly. I would imagine there's a time where Romeo comes to town for a visit, and as part of the recruiting process, he meets with the new strength and conditioning coach. Am I right here? And do you remember your first meeting with Romeo and his family? And what was your mindset going into that? Well, you're correct. I remember Romeo's name the first week I was on the job. You know, I, I heard his name, you know, um, and was very excited when he decided to take an official visit and certainly remember his official visit. I remember probably spending more time on that presentation uh, with his family than probably any other recruit that I've ever met. Uh, typically, Coach Archie will give me, you know, 30 to 45 minutes if I if I need that to go over my PowerPoint presentation. Um and to give a tour of the weight room. But, but, you know, with Romeo, we went a little longer than that. And I just remember at the end of the presentation, he walked in my office and in my office, I have hundreds of photos that um, pro athletes have been nice enough to send me or sign. And I told Romeo um, one of these days, uh, if you come here, I want your picture on the wall. And um, it's hard to believe now, but his picture is actually up on the wall. Um, so that's kind of how the, the visit went with Romeo. I'm wondering with one of those recruiting visits, how much time or information do you have 
to customize it to the recruit coming in is and and it's like hey your body types like this your games like this this is what we're going to do or do you have more of a one size fits all that's adaptable to whoever walks through the door yeah i think early on the presentation is very general in nature but to your point based on their strengths or weaknesses i can relate them to a player that's been in our program in the past or that's currently in our program you know and we look a lot you know the the program at Ignition was built on on relationships, but you have to have results. So the pre and post test evaluation, you know, every off season is a really big deal to us. So being able to show those pre and post test results to the recruits, um, I think I think is probably the the highlight of of my PowerPoint presentation. Now, Cliff, you've got a lot of experience in in various organizations and various roles because of working within an NFL organization, working in the private sector. I am curious, though, you have not mentioned that you have any professional experience with photography, because what I see (laughs) when you do your before and after pictures of guys, it looks like a guy who really knows how to use photography to have the before picture look (laughs) awful and the after picture to look amazing. (laughs) So I'm not saying these guys aren't in better shape. They are. But I see Race Thompson sticking his gut out in the before. The lighting is terrible. He's slouched. And then I see an Instagram filter going on on the after that makes it look like he's Hulk Hogan. So, uh, but walk us through a little bit of the before and afters that, that, that you do and why they're important to you. It's all about the lighting, man. You guys are out there on the West Coast and in California, you know that it's uh-huh. about the lighting, but the uh, that's why the results have to speak for themselves. I mean, if you just take away the photos, right? What does it say, you know, pre-test and post-test on their vertical jump or their bench press or their three-quarter court sprint? And that's what has to stick out. You know, uh, the, the photos that, that we do, you know, to be honest with you, it's the first day that they walk into our program the very first thing that they do is take their pre-test photo, get their body fat, get all of their measurables, their height, the weight, the wingspan. And then at the end of the off season, uh, you take another one and you would be shocked at the actual improvements and the changes they make in the body composition. And, and in terms of how much weight they've put on, you know, you take a guy like Al Durham who walks in at 160, as I mentioned, over the course of three off seasons, his body should look much differently regardless of the light or anything like that. (laughs) Right. And so um, even guys like, you know, many of these guys, when they get here, they have not been in a strength and conditioning program. Right. right? So like we talk about the freshman 15, I mean, that's a real thing. 15 pounds, their first off season is what we've averaged for the players who needed to gain weight when they got to IU. Right. So be it Jordan Geronimo, be it Anthony Leo, be it these guys who are, needing to put on weight, you can look over the last three off seasons and that's been our average. Now there have been some players who we felt didn't need to gain weight because the one thing that I would tell you is we're not going to take an athlete and make them a tugboat. We're going to make them a speedboat. We never want to sacrifice speed for, for weight gain or anything like that. So, uh, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, he came in, I think around two thirty eight, and, and, now he's like 242. He didn't need to put on 15 pounds of, of weight. Um, so it's different with each individual guy, but I think the pre and post test results and the photos, specifically the photos, I think just for the athlete, it builds a lot of confidence because they see results in a short, short amount of time. 
I, we brought this up on the podcast before. If you need some, you know, if, I would imagine ultimately your message when it's the same message to the same players, maybe it doesn't reach them. If you need somebody to come in and tell them how to gain weight in Bloomington, I gained <laughs> 22 pounds in one weekend in Bloomington. And that's not a lie. I measured myself 22 pounds in one weekend. So if Al Durham needs to put on a quick 10, I'm his guy. I mean, I can make that happen in a few hours. It's all about training tables with Eric. That's how he does it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. This must be a unique challenge for you, not only in the year we're having, but in bringing in a kid like Christian who's supposed to still be in high school. And he's getting into the training program later. Not only he's got to fulfill these high school requirements still, um, but with the pandemic going on, how do you accelerate or, or if that's even the right word for it, how are you preparing somebody who is so young and, and fairly, you know, skinny, at least the last we saw to get ready all of a sudden to be thrown into the beasts of the big 10. Yeah, I mean, obviously he had to finish up some schoolwork down at the high school in Evansville, so he was a little late getting here. Obviously, now you throw in we got to take a pause in training because of COVID nineteen. It's been, it's been a you know a slow but steady pro- process, and I think for Christian specifically, you have to individualize the program for him, and that's the good thing about college basketball. You're working with so few guys that you could really individualize a program for him. So, you know. Um, obviously different exercises, you know, spending more time with them uh, outside of just the normal strength training sessions they do with a team, you know, just keeping them positive, um, things like that. I mean, he's an extraordinary talent. um, And I I don't think that it'll be a situation where he's not able to withstand the the rigors of college basketball. I think he's an elite, he's an elite level athlete. You know, and I think that, you know, he's done a good job with his nutrition and he's put on the weight that we're asking him to put on. So, you know, I'm anxious to see him out there here in a few weeks when we get started. Can you tell us how much weight he's put on since you since he first walked in the door? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when when you looked at his high school rankings or this, that or the other, they listed him at 165. I think when he showed up to Bloomington this summer, he was around 172. And now he's been up to 185 with his weight. So when you look at, you know, Al Durham, for example, he's 185 pounds. You know, Rob Fennessy's around that 185, 187, 189. So, again, weight, gaining weight was was not an issue for Christian. And he's put a lot of hard work um, into the weight room and then, you know, controlling his nutrition, too. One thing we asked Archie when we had him on, because I'm always curious to kind of get behind the, the scenes on emotional responses to things that us fans have. And we want to know if the coaches feel the same thing. So you talked a little bit about how nervous you were when you were working at ignition and and the combine is everything hitting those measurables. And I would imagine when your guy hit the number that you were hoping for, it is just like you probably celebrate a little bit. It's a big deal. In college basketball, it's a little different from, from your perspective because obviously the measurable is one thing, but it's all about winning games. But you are part of the recruiting process. So when you land a Romeo Langford, when he has his big press conference and announces for Indiana or Christian Lander announces he's coming and you know you've been a vital part of that, Cliff, take us through what it's like for you when you get the news or hear that one of these recruits that you helped recruit chooses Indiana 
What, what do you, how do you react to that? I think the first thing I do is just thank the coaches, you know, because they're the guys that are out there recruiting these athletes, you know, identifying and then recruiting them. And they spend a lot of time, our coaching staff, you know, they spend so much time outside of practice and game and watching game film and things of that nature, just recruiting these players. So I tell them, thank you first. And then, as I said earlier, it's just, like I said, it just makes your job so much easier. You know, when, when you're recruiting high level five-star athletes and they're committing and they're coming to play at Indiana, you know, as a strength coach, it, it just, it brings you, uh, it brings you some, I don't know, like some belief in that, man, we're going to get this thing going. Mm. And, you know, you just got to, do your part as a strength coach. And in some regards, it's just like, you know, don't, Hey, don't screw them up. They're great. athletes. You know, <laughs> Don't do anything to screw them up. And so that's the big thing for me is you just feel really, really good about the state of the program when you can land those big time recruits. When I think about your, your into your fourth year here now, but there is a couple of guys in your orbit uh, that have been around IU uh, the the training center is named after one of them, the training room rather. And, uh, uh, and, and of course I'm talking about Tim Garl and Dr. Larry Rink. And I wonder what it was like for you showing up as the new kid and being integrated into this, this program with two guys who have been there longer than you've probably been alive. Can you just talk about your relationship and how that's evolved? Yeah, for sure. I, I think Tim Garl, I would consider him like a big brother to me, you know, as I got here to Bloomington, it's just like been sitting at his feet, just, you know, learning from him and just hearing stories. And like, it brings me a sense of peace uh, being with him because there's nothing that he has not seen other than COVID-19. I tell him that he's never (laughs) never seen COVID-19. Good point. Good point. (laughs) But um, man, it's just, uh, you know, to to go in and sit in his office and talk and and whatnot has just been such a blessing learning from him and being around him. And then you got Dr. Rink in in the same regard, the first person uh, to meet with me in Bloomington was Dr. Rink. And he actually, my first week on the job, I had been here a couple of days. He asked me to go to breakfast with him. And so he took me out to Cloverleaf, this, uh, this, this, this breakfast spot. And we ate. And of course he told me, you know, of his history here and uh, just a ton of respect for those guys. And, and just to watch, you know, what they do for our program, they go above and beyond the call of duty. And I'm just thankful to be locked arms with them because it's got to be a healthy working relationship. You know, the athletic trainer and the strength coach and the team doctor and the head coach, like, you know, you have to have cohesion there and you have to be on the same page. And I'm very thankful that we have that here at Indiana. It seems exceptional that coach Miller has kept that around and that so many other coaches have, I'm not familiar enough with other college programs to know how common that is, but is that sort of unique for IU to have two guys who've been, been part of the programs through so many coaching regimes? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, I'd like to go on a run here like Tim Garl. I'd like to look <laughs> up and be here, you know, 38 years later. But I just think he's he's uh, both he and Dr. Rink and Dr. Allfelt as well. Yes. There, there's been so many lives that they've impacted here. But not only that, they're they're exceptional at their job. And I think that's why, you know, they're still around here after all these years. Let's not forget, I mean, the highlight of Tim Garl's career, of course, is icing my busted butt when I <laughs> took a charge at the fantasy camp. I mean, I'm sure that goes up. There. But uh, 
Cliff, I am curious, do the coaches ever come to you and be like, hey, can you create a workout you know, program for me? I, I know Archie works out a ton. I know Ostrom works out a ton. Not sure about Mike Roberts. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know about Boss. And now we've got Kenya. Don't know about him. But do they get into the weight room with you? Do, do you work with them at all? I can tell you that all of our coaches are in the weight room. Uh, they're definitely, it starts with Archie, his fitness. I tell him all the time, like, you know, my pre and post test evaluations, the pre and post test pictures, he should be front and center because he, <laughs> he has done an extraordinary job of just training his body. And, and it, the machine that he does every day is called the Versa Climber machine. And uh, we train on them a lot because they're low impact. And you've probably seen LeBron James. That's his choice of conditioning. But uh, Archie wakes up every morning and does 30 minutes on this machine. And I tell you, it's, it's a killer workout. Now he's in the weight room. And yeah, Coach Ostrom is consistently in the weight room. And now Mike Roberts is even back in the weight room. And he's, he's, um, he's getting after it like he nice. was in college all over again. So and yes, Kenya as well. They're all, and even our support staff. I mean, it's, uh, the weight room is definitely humming. Not, not only with our players, but also with all of our staff members that come through and work out every day. Do you feel what, what we've talked, we've had Scott Dolson on recently, obviously at Archie, uh, we had Bruiser before he left, Trader, Benedict Arnold, no big deal, <laughs> don't need to get into it. Um, but do you feel, and I know this might be somewhat sensitive, but what the hell, do you feel like you have what you need at Indiana to compete at the highest possible level and to get the kids in the best possible shape that they can be in? Do you feel like the resources that you have right now are good enough or do we need to take another step? Well, I just think you have to look at where we were at three years ago to where we're at right now. Um, anytime I've ever asked for anything at Indiana uh, for my area, I've never been told no. You know, obviously you get a new weight room and within the new weight room. It's, it's not just equipment. I mean, they came in and go to the floors. It's new paint. It's new graphics. It's LED lights to brighten the place up. Um, it's technology. You know, uh, the technology in the weight room. We're able to see how fast uh, the bar is moving when our players are doing certain exercises. Uh, when we go out to the court, uh, we have technology that allows me to see in real time how fast our athletes are running on the court during practice, how far they're running, how high they're jumping. And then after practice each day, I can put together a report, give it to our coaches so they know exactly what we did that day uh, during practice. Those are all things that we've had to invest in uh, since I've been here at IU. Now, if you look at the amenities, you look at a new um, assembly hall locker room. Now you look at a new cook hall locker room practice. You look at the Evolve situation where we've got our players living in these nice apartments you know I think that if you just look at the improvements that have been made over the last three years I don't think you can complain and just to break down what you talked about during practice because I find it fascinating um you you are like they're wearing like a gps or something that the, each of the players that tracks them throughout the game so you get speed and distance and things like that yeah, that's correct. It's a GPS monitor that each player has on. And at the end of practice, uh, you definitely can come up with a, a good report to give to our coaches, which is why I want to use that. But also during real time, you can see exactly what's going on. For example, we were doing a little workout last week on the court and, you know, Trey Galloway and Trace Jackson Davis were competing, you know, to see who could run the fastest. And it tracks it, it, tracks it in miles per hour. 
you know what I'm saying? So the players, yeah. you know, they, they understand that. So they're competing, you know, to see who's going to, going to run the length of the court the fastest. And that's, that's another positive as well. It creates healthy competition. Who's, who won? Who, who won? <laughs> it was like, uh, I think it was both of these guys were like in the eight or low 18 miles per hour. Wow. wow. And are they, are they they're as both. fast as anybody on the team or who's the fastest guy on they're, the team? They're the fastest that we've tracked. Yes. Wow. And, um, I, I don't know what, I, do you, Oh, I know what I was going to ask in an average practice. How much does somebody run? Do you have that, uh, number in your head like how what is the total distance in miles that somebody would run in a in a full out practice yeah obviously it depends on on the practice you know and it depends on the time of the year and it depends on what coach archie's trying to accomplish but we've had players run you know over four miles four and a half miles in a practice uh, that's wow. not very uncommon at all and that's you know, sprinting four miles. I mean, basically, right? Yeah, it, it's not just sprinting. It's changing. It's cutting. It's changing right. directions. You know, you're talking about jumping and, and landing. And, man, you know, basketball, it's a, it's a different than football. Obviously, you, you, there's a lot of wear and tear on the bodies, you know, on the feet, the ankles, the knees, because you're on the hardwood. Even on your backs, I've noticed. You're on the hardwood, and it's a six-month sport. You know, you, you, I mean, we've started, we're on the court right now and right. we're going to be on the court until the end of March, you know? And so you maybe look at April. That, six, let's maybe, go for maybe, April. Maybe, I mean, come April, on. <laughs> April, there you go. But you know, the point, the point I'm making is it's a grueling sport over the course of time. Six months is a long time. So the, the wear and tear on the bodies and how you got to encourage the players. I teach something called the credit and debt system, a credit to your body is anytime you foam roll or do a stretch or yoga or do an ice tub uh you know a, a debt to your body is anytime you're in practice because it breaks your body down any game that you play and i would say the biggest difference for me and what i've really had to get used to is with the season being that long you know when you're when you're a strength coach in football you play on saturday or on sunday if you're in the nfl and then your week looks the same right a practice is always on the same day you're lifting it always on the same day in college basketball, specifically in the big 10, because we played nearly every day of the week last year. Right. It's tough to find that rhythm. Mm. And as a strength coach, you're always having to manipulate your workouts based on what they're doing on the court. Well, and you were alluding there to recovery with like a credit to your body. And one thing we hadn't touched on was sleep. And I was wondering if you could, put together a program for me based only on sleep and recovery, nothing else. <laughs> Can you, Cause I feel like I could really flourish. In that. Uh, but, but when you, when you are talking about looking at, oh, I'm not even going to bring up his name, but there's a very old quarterback in the NFL that had an incredible game yesterday. And unfortunately it wasn't <laughs> Philip rivers still one. Uh, you're we're dealing now with people on the at the beginning of these high level careers, but you need to start to integrate some of the principles or just the practices of what these guys are doing, like LeBron, that are are allowing them to perform at levels never seen before for guys, you know, our age. Is that something you're already putting into the work? when a kid comes in at 18 or 19 or is that for 10 or 15 years down the road? No, you know, we just finished a workout uh, just before I hopped on the call here and um, every workout for me starts on a grease board. You know, when I got to IU, 
there were a number of things that I wanted and had requested, but the first thing was a grease board. And the reason I wanted a grease board is so that I could tell the athletes what we were doing, why we were doing it, and how it would make them a better athlete. Within that, every day on the grease board, I'm going to teach them something about being a pro. We talk about being a pro a lot, and that is exactly what you're talking about. You know, you know, hydration, you know, sleep, recovery, you know, nutrition. You know, today it's on, you know, I just got the guys a gallon water jug, you know, and as we're picking up activity on the court, you know, teaching those guys that if you can drink that gallon water jug, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game a little bit in terms of hydration. You know, I talk about what a dehydrated muscle looks like and, and how that can negatively impact performance. It's always teaching. And that's one of the joys of my job is actually teaching these 18, 19, 20 year old kids, you know, about the importance of that. And, you know, obviously you're, you, you want results, you want the athletes to be stronger and you also are always looking at ways to try to keep them on the court. And I would say that, you know, it's in a sport like basketball, the strength coach usually gets too much credit when a team is healthy and they get too much blame when the team is not healthy. I would say it's the same with wins and losses. I mean, as a strength coach, you're just a piece of the puzzle, you know, but anytime you can teach the guys and instruct them on how to take care of their bodies, you, you obviously need to do so. I'm glad you brought up the injury thing because I wanted to bring it up because one of the narratives, unfortunately, for the first three years of the Archie Miller era has been just an unfortunate run of bad luck, truthfully. I mean, some injuries that are just freak things. I mean, Jerome Hunter's condition, obviously, was something nobody could have ever known. Race Thompson's concussion, which was just a major, major concussion. There was an accident that happened in practice, things like that. But there's also been a run of tight hammies and things, things like that, that have kept us from seeing our full team as often as we would have liked. When that stuff is happening, when Devante was out games or Rob was out games and that stuff is happening, do you feel, because, you know, um, uneducated moron fans like us, you know, we're looking for somebody to blame. So do you feel the pressure of that at all, Cliff, when when a bunch of guys are out? Do you feel like, oh, man, is this on me? Like, what can I do to to solve this? Or do you have enough faith and knowledge in what you do to know that there is nothing you can do? Yeah, I think you got to look at the injuries. You know, when you look at the injury history, to your point, you know, the Jerome Hunter situation, you know, with Rob Finnessy's concussions, Race Thompson's concussions. I mean, there's certain things that you certainly have no control over, you know, as a strength coach, the ones that bother you as a strength coach would be soft tissue injuries. And if they're happening, when they're happening and why they're happening. And I think that's why, like I said, you can't prevent all injuries, but, and each individual situation is different, but when something like that happens, you have to go back to the data. Is there anything you can see on the data as to why, you know, it's a soft tissue injury. And then you got to go to the athlete, you know, you know, as a, as a college student, uh, I get it. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. Well, were you up and you only got three hours of sleep the night before? And this is our fourth day in a row on the court and you weren't hydrated. Um, you know, is you just try to the bottom of it at the same time, you know, you cannot control all of them, but to answer your question, yes, it's probably the most stressful part of my job other than the wins and the losses. We've, had the great honor and pleasure of talking to dozens and dozens and dozens of great IU players and several of them, many of them 
had really tough injuries or even multiple injuries that they had to get through. And I think we've really grown an appreciation for how difficult that is mentally and emotionally, apart from the physical rehab. And I'm wondering when uh, somebody like a race is going through that, what do you feel it's your job and responsibility and how do you go about making sure they have the mental and emotional support around them when inevitably it's just so lonely to see your whole team out there playing basketball and you're stuck on the table? It's tough. And they spend a lot of time obviously with Tim Goral and he does a great job with them. And then obviously when they're released and they're able to come back in the weight room, you know, it's just a daily check-in almost, you know, because you know, they're in a tough spot. And, you know, you look at them as an individual and you and you feel you have empathy for them, I think, number one. And number two, for me, it's just, you know, oftentimes I just get to work with them in a setting where it's just me and them. So between sets, between reps, whatnot, in that dead time as you're recovering, just being able to talk to them. If they want to talk about the injury, many a times they, they don't want to talk about the injury. I think the the one encouraging piece when you talk about injuries is, going into our fourth year, we've only had one season ending injury. Hmm. And if you guys probably remember, that was Deron Davis. That was his yeah. Achilles. Yep. So that's certainly been a positive, but I can remember specifically when Deron went down on the court during practice and then probably his rehab, you know, coming into a wheelchair. I just remember, you know, after the surgery and then working his way back. And although he never probably was what he once was he was able to come back and play two years for us and now thankfully he's on his pro career over in Ireland yeah but I just remember a lot of the conversations that you know Deron and I would have during those times of just me and him working out together as he was trying to come back from that injury uh it's not an injury because it is such a different thing but what was the year like with Jerome Hunter uh and managing that whole thing that that was a really scary different kind of situation as well Certainly was. That whole year was just so crazy. I remember specifically about that. I, we were able to fly as a staff. I thought it was so nice. Coach Archie, you know, we were able to fly into the Cleveland Clinic and visit him in the hospital after his mm -hmm. surgery and just no rhyme or reason for it. You know, I mean, like the percentage of people that deal with that type of an injury, you know, uh, was certainly, certainly tough and not knowing if he would play again. And I, honestly, every time I see him on the court, you know, it's just like, man, the fact that he's out here, people take that for granted. Like the fact that he's out here, Tim Goro and Dr. Ring did an incredible job of getting the best doctors involved. And I'm so thankful that he's going to, Lord willing, to be able to step out there and play for us this year with his situation. Do you feel like that stuff is behind you or is the, that thing something that is always kind of just under the surface and could creep up or is it, is there, is, is he more at risk than, a, than somebody without it? Yeah, it's tough to say. And obviously I can't speak a lot on the injuries sure, and get sure. myself, get myself in trouble on the show, but it's I get tough it. To say. I mean, I, I can just tell you this, he's had a great summer and he's had a great start to our preseason without any issues. So that's the encouraging piece. That's great. All right. So I want to ask just a couple fun questions here. The first one though is, there have been a few players over the last, let's call it, I mean, there's a few players over time at Indiana that when they walk in through the door, you're excited because they look like a freak. I mean, we had OG Ananobi was one where, you know, several years ago when he came through the door, he had these big shoulders and he just looked like a specimen going all the way back to like a George McGinnis, you know, that was a man among boys. But 
Jordan Geronimo seems like he fits the mold a little bit. How much of a freak athlete is Jordan Geronimo? You mentioned OG, you know, it's, uh, I didn't get to coach OG or, or whatnot, but he and Thomas Bryant um, have been back and trained in the off seasons, which has been awesome. And when they walk through the door, you know, they look like an NBA player, you know, Cody Zeller's been in when he yeah. walks through the door, even Romeo, these guys, when they walk into the weight room, you can tell they're high level athletes. And I think Jordan has just been blessed with unbelievable genetics. Um, you know, I think he came in at 200 or 205 this past uh, week. He weighed in at 222, I think. Oh, and boy. <laughs> he's, he's just getting he's just getting started. You know, he's just getting started. And that's an example of a player who really hadn't had a lot of experience in the weight room. But right. man, he's really he's really responded. And, you know, I can't wait to see what he looks like you know, two months from now, not to mention two years from now. He's certainly an impre- impressive athlete. And a, going along that, because it's one thing to be an impressive athlete, Victor Oladipo is another guy, impressive athlete, but the work ethic was off the charts and it made him the the physical specimen he he became, but also the the player he became all the way, you know, to be drafted number two and become an all-star in the NBA are you happy with what you see from Jordan's work ethic? Because sometimes I feel like the great athletes, it has come so easy to them that some of them may not have that extra gear. What are you seeing in Jordan so far? No, I think the results from this summer, just being, being with me for six weeks and, and he, and him seeing the increase in muscle mass and his increase in vertical jump and how strong he's gotten has only spurred him on to, to become better. You know, obviously he's gaining confidence, but in my area, he's been excellent, and I can't wait to, you know, watch him reap the fruits of his labor out on the court. After, say, uh, a few practices or a few sessions with the kid, can you pretty much tell where their ceiling is? Or are there times where just really go to the next level with the way they approach it and actually can supersede what you maybe thought genetically they were capable of getting to? Yeah, that's a that's another good question. I tell you, like Rob Fennessy and Anthony Leo are two guys that come to mind uh, when when we're talking about this, and it's it's becoming more and more common where certain schools are hiring full time strength coaches, and so Rob and Anthony both had full time strength coaches mm-hmm. in high school. So just imagine that they have three years of experience in the weight room before they step on campus at IU, and for that reason, you know Anthony Leo has broken some records in terms of where our freshmen have been in years past. I mean, he he did, he did the 185 pound bench press, which is what they do at the NBA combine 20 reps this summer. Right. Well, that's not, that's not 20 reps because he had been training with me in my program for a month. It's 20 reps because he had a great strength program leading into, you know, his career at IU here. So on the flip side of that, you do have some guys who, who don't have any experience in the weight room. And I would say their ceiling is a lot higher in terms of how quickly they're going to become strong and, you know, put on lean muscle mass and whatnot, just because they don't have that experience. All right. So it's date night for Cliff and his wife in Bloomington. Where are you taking her out to dinner? And it cannot be Buffalo's, even though that is where I would take my girlfriend out all the time. But if it's a date night, birthday, anniversary, where are you taking her out for dinner? Let me brag on my wife. First, yes. I asked her uh, recently, we were going to go out for a date and I said, where, where, where do you want to go eat at? 
and out of any any of the places that she could have chose she chose long john silver yes <laughs> yes that is is so, there still a long john silvers in bloomington uh there was on the, yes on the west side of town over there yes yeah, over oh, by I, College I, Mall. I i have such a respect for your wife right now hey, she's low incredible. maintenance she's very low maintenance <laughs> <laughs> all right but if you're choosing the date night where are you taking her Probably Zagreb's. We really, really like Zagreb's. Um, that's a good place for us to go when we're looking for a good steak. I enjoy a good steak every now and then. Absolutely. It looks like you need some protein in your diet. I mean, uh, on a frame <laughs> like mine, it's really not important. But yeah, one of those fillets or ribeyes will get the job done. Now, do you indulge in the the carbohydrates with a uh, an occasional beer? Do you have a local watering hole you like to pop into on occasion? You know what? My, I've been clean. I haven't drank alcohol for 12 years. I used to be a heavy drinker and um, I've, I've, by the grace of God, you know, been clean and, and haven't drank for 12 years. My, my splurge in Bloomington is Jiffy Treat. It's, a, yes. it's, a ice cream, oh, yeah. it's an ice cream shot over by uh, College Mall Road that, that I like to go to every weekend. Well, we're kind of we're we're kind of the opposite. I just wanted to say I did all of my heavy drinking in Bloomington and and then I had to kind of leave it there. And so uh, for me, it's Ben and Jerry's out here. That's that's the pint that I dip is a Ben and Jerry's pint that there you go. What about Cliff? Have you done any of like the delivery cookies, like the baked baked cookies in Bloomington? Do the kids like those? They definitely do. We like the macadamia nut cookies from baked. We really like those. That's great. How about square donuts? Square square donuts is is certainly a favor for the kids. I'm excited because I I've been watching. I think on College Mall Road, um, they're putting up a Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm really really excited about Dunkin' Donuts coming to Bloomington. Mm. Do you like coffee? Is coffee okay? It, it certainly is. If you ask any of the staff members or even the players, they'll tell you that, you know, I stay hydrated with drinking lots and lots of coffee every day. <laughs> Keep that energy up too. That's right. Your four years in Bloomington or coming up on four full years. What is your favorite moment that uh, so far in your time? I mean, and know that no matter how good your favorite moment has been so far, there are better moments to come when you guys are winning Big Ten championships and then hanging banners. But so far, what, what do you look back on as your favorite moment? You know, certainly as you talk about, you know, going out and spending time with the guys fishing or, or even when players come back. I love when former players come back and, you know, come into the weight room or whatnot. But, you know, specifically to basketball, I would say it's a tie between Rob Fennessy's last second shot versus Butler mm-hmm. or – when we were in a tough stretch, my second year here, we went up to Michigan State on college game day and we upset the Spartans. That was yeah. certainly a huge road win that I'll never forget. You know, the other thing that I remember specifically about that road win that that had to have been satisfying on a bunch of levels was Juwan got hurt in that game. And it felt like, well, now with Juwan out, we've got no shot. But Duran, who obviously had dealt with injuries, had a huge game that game and played more minutes than he probably should have. But as somebody who has worked so hard with Duran and it was on a roller coaster with Duran because of the injuries, that had to be satisfying, not just for the win, not just for the road win, not just for who you beat, but seeing Duran be such a critical piece of that game had to have been satisfying personally as well. 
It certainly was. I mean, and I, and I was shocked probably just like you were because we knew he was coming off the injury and, you know, wasn't in, wasn't in great game shape yet, but man, he stepped up that game. And anytime we play Michigan state, it's a physical game, right? It's where you start talking about, you know, the, the football with no pads and just to see Deron down there banging with their big guys and having a great game was just so, so, so cool to watch. You're wearing an IU hat with the trident on it, which our, our listeners cannot see, but I'm telling them, I believe it's a strength on your shirt with IU, uh, the, the, the state of Indiana below it. I, I just, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's got the heavy barbells. Looks like 345s on each side. We got to get that shirt. We, oh, can oh, we yeah. buy that? Yeah, we'd really, we'd fill that out just like Cliff, for sure. <laughs> 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 but this is, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming this is the case, but I think it's important not only for Eric and I to hear it and all the listeners, but I think it's really important for you. I just want to make sure there's nothing left in your closet that has the University of Louisville or a Cardinal. I want to make sure it's only the good stuff in there now. Is that can we report that's the case? That's certainly the case. I've given yes. away all the Louisville gear, all the Kentucky gear, anything that I've owned from my days back in Kentucky, other than my Bengal stuff. I still have a, a good amount of Bengal stuff. It's all been given away. That's fine. That's fine. We love that. Uh, Cliff, before we wrap up, I just want to say a, a couple of things that you should hear. You know, we've had the pleasure of talking to, like Ward said, dozens and dozens of the greats of Indiana, but we've also had the pleasure to talk to the majority of recruits that have come into Indiana over the last four years. And when we've talked to them, and we've had a chance to, to get to know some of their parents as well, and when we ask them, why did you choose Indiana? Your name always comes up, always. And it's, it's not down the list. It is high on the list. You have made an impact with these kids and their families in a really meaningful way. And uh, some of them have mentioned your faith and how they have responded to, to that. But your energy overall, the care that you give them, the focus that you've put on them, that has come up on our podcast and off as Ward and I have had conversations with these people uh, that we've had the pleasure of meeting you are an asset to the Indiana program and Indiana University as a whole. And we were so excited to talk to you because your name comes up so often and we don't get a chance to hear from you in press conferences like we do the coaches and things like that. So we love that you are part of Indiana. You bring something so crucial. And I don't just mean by the measurables. You bring so much more. When I see those pictures of you holding up a fish with the players, it really does mean a tremendous amount. And when I see the Photoshopped after pictures, it just gives me a <laughs> chuckle. But I like that. But 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 I really I think it's important for you to know how much you are impacting these kids' lives and their families. And that is the stuff, like you said before, it, it, it is forever. It is, it is not just um, for the four years or three or two that they're at Indiana. So it is an honor to have you on the show. We love that you are our strength coach. We consider you our strength coach. And by the way, you can never go anywhere else. <laughs> wow. Eric and Ward, thank you guys so much for having me. And obviously, thanks. Um, I'm just humbled and honored that Archie would give me the opportunity here at Indiana and you know, the recruits and the families, the trust that they put in, it's, it's, uh, it's easy, you know, you know, that the actions have to speak louder than the words when you start talking about recruiting and living up to expectations. But um, I, I'm humbled and honored to be a part of the Indiana basketball program and hopefully can be here for, for a long time. We hope so too. And we really hope in these unprecedented times, you guys can all stay 
safe, healthy, and know that uh, a few thousand miles away, you got a couple of yahoos who are going to be watching your every move and rooting the whole way. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Cliff, here's a question, though, before we let you go. The next time Ward and I are allowed to come to Bloomington safely, will you put us through a workout? You know, I was thinking about that. Maybe if we can do that fantasy camp again, maybe yes. I just put you through the whole NBA combine. We test your vertical jump. We mm, test your. Mm, <laughs> mm, oh, boy. I don't know. I don't think that the numbers go that low. <laughs> <laughs> but I want I want Ward and I to get a Cliff Marshall workout. That would be that would yes. be fun. I, by the way, I got the stretch and the stretch almost killed me. But did you, but wait, I wanna, did you just say you get, you've. You think it would be fun? Yeah, it would be fun. It would be funny for people to watch. Yeah, I think yeah, it, we should it would be hilarious. It we'll put it out there. All right, but Cliff, Our pain and us... agony. <laughs> Not a full workout. We want like 30 minutes. Give us 30 minutes. Consider it done. The man, the myth, the legend. Now we know. I loved... Um... I love the specificity that he brought to to this this like kind of nebulous world of strength and conditioning, you know, just like how he works with them. Uh, I got into some of the weeds a little bit when he started talking about like when you asked him specifically, what is it about basketball and training for basketball, tackle basketball, like not, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to hold your position, you know, not putting the weight on the backs of guys like Joey and Trace. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. And um, he just cares so much. You can tell, like it is all about his interpersonal relationships with these kids. And I love that. Well, it's, we've known from the time he was hired, how much Archie, thinks of him and how valuable he will be to the program on and off the court. But at the most, we've gotten like a paragraph here, uh, a couple of articles oriented with who he is and his background. But for a man who is mentioned so much as just a real crucial key element of everything we're doing, we haven't really got to to certainly know the guy at all or really understand, as you say, the specificity of why he is so important. And to just be able to go there was like, oh, great. We've kind of been waiting for years to really dig into it and see why you are as important as, say, anybody besides Coach Miller himself on the long-term success of this program because any key recruit or player obviously is huge. But when a guy like that says he wants a 35 or 40 year run at IU, it's like, yes, please. Totally. Yes. I also love the NFL combine stuff because look, I'm not, I don't watch the NFL combine. I I love the NFL. I watch Sunday football. I'm sure you do. I love the combine, but I never thought about it in terms of the pressure and stress that so many people are feeling. And like you said, the difference between a four, six and a four five is millions of dollars. And, yeah. and the, the highs of the highs that he could experience to the lows of the lows, like you talked about with Ray Graham, I think he said his name was, that is, um, that is real life drama kind of playing out. And, and, you know, you're talking about the chance at like generational wealth for some of these guys, if they just perform well in, in this one combine so i just love i just love being able to pick his brain a little and and i love how much he respects indiana 
Like the the idea that it held so much importance to him that even a kid growing up in that shithole Kentucky uh, could respect what Indiana was. And when he said, look, I can always fall back on private sector training. There's no way I can fall back on a job like Indiana. That's kind of what we want everybody to feel. Coaches, players alike about what Indiana is. So I loved hearing that from him. Yeah, and to know we need people with that point of view, that feeling of reverence for what has been to get it back to that level, right? Because kids right now, it's like, oh, my dad or my grandfather told me about that. But we're we're in a, a place in time now where it's got to happen now on the national stage. I'm excited that he and Archie are going to be there for as long as we're alive. You got to love when Cliff Marshall, who comes to Indiana in 2016, is talking about Bobby Knight. Yeah. I mean, you just got to love it when he is referencing Bobby Knight quotes about the mental to the physical. You know, that that is just awesome stuff because that connects the program throughout the years and and makes it more than just a stop. It's not just another program. So I love that. Um, It's really a shame the guy can't vote for board of trustees. (laughs) I mean, it's just a shame, but doesn't mean he can't endorse you. Are you surprised I didn't ask? Yes, I am. I expected it. Uh, I was more worried about uh, getting right for the time that we get. To, I'm going to have to start training now for whenever it is to at least be able to not vomit during the workout that he gives us. I did. I did mean to ask him if he has buckets for us or if we need to bring those ourselves. We'll bring them. We got to bring some. Do you think one of us will throw up? What are the odds that one of us throws up? I think I'm at the point in my life where um there's just a governor in my brain that if I'm starting to work so hard that I might vomit, I'll just stop. I'll just be like, Nope, Nope. I won't do this now. Got it. I don't have that governor. I will vomit. Okay. Then yes, it will happen. And it'll be your vomit. You'll just need to shave that beard before the vomit starts coming out. Oh God, that is true. That would be real nasty. Um, look, man, I just love it. He, he gets it. He's in. He loves being there. He's a good guy. I'm glad that he owned up to the bullshit after photos because everybody goes nuts about him and he admitted it's all about the lighting. I mean, let's just, I love when people go nuts on pigs, on Twitter. These after pictures, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. He knows what he's doing with those. I don't know what I think about strength and conditioning coaches because I've never really met one. We certainly didn't want have one in high school and that you have such a a calm, centered guy. And clearly, Cliff can bring the juice, you know, when it's time to get guys putting up the weights or in the tunnel before they come out on the court. But I think about all these kids having a guy like that who's so, so centered that is just a part of their daily life, in some ways even more so than the coaching staff. Totally more so. And, and you've got to feel like, oh, what a great calm to the storm for all these kids just figuring out how to to grow up and be men. And especially at a program like IU, where you're in such a microcosm and you're under the spotlight, it's like to know he's there for them to turn to. It's got to, I, like he said, it's got to be, or maybe you actually mentioned it, how big a deal it is to parents to know, 
um, he's going to help raise your kid for the next four years and see them on their way to adulthood. Trace Jackson Davis runs 18 miles an hour. I don't, I don't think that's that much less than like a racing horse. <laughs> I mean, look, when I get on a treadmill, the fastest I will go on the treadmill, when I'm going to do like a one minute sprint, like balls out sprint, is like 8-1. It's like 8-1. He's doing more than two times that. I, that makes no sense to me. And the only reason I can go 8-1 is because the ground beneath me is moving at 8-1. It's just forcing me to go that fast. I couldn't do that on my own. This guy is running fine, <laughs> and he's running 18 miles an hour on his own. I mean, that is awesome. That is just exciting. You got to figure his leg, like his leg comes up to your shoulder, though. So that that helps. That's really the only reason he's running faster than you. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's the only reason. That's it. All right. Well, look, I loved him. I love that we've had Scott Dolson. We now get uh, Cliff Marshall. We're working on Kenya. Hopefully that's going to happen sometime soon. And we got a lot of exciting players coming up as well uh, in some eras that we have not spent that much time focusing on. So that's pretty exciting coming up. As always, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but the sometimes, sometimes why? I'm going to go get a lift in. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.